Hello, everybody in uh, Radio Land. Welcome to Infinite Cast, your podcast for the week. Ooh, there's a guy in the audience of the uh, is this Australian Open who's wearing a very hype T-shirt. I with see a smiley, with the smiley face, face on, on it. it. We love the smiley face. The smiley face is everywhere. Yes, uh, more, more and coming around more and more. Might have to get a smiley face tattoo. Yes. Well, you should get the original design. Yeah, I wouldn't get um, any the of the Johnny Come Lately. Yes. Smiley Come Lately. I was thinking. I was briefly looking down, tracking, tracking out if I could get like an original print from the guy, the artist who designed the smiley face. Yeah. And. Uh, inconclusive. I didn't look hard enough or long enough. That, that's okay. Yes. <laughs> uh. Anything else? Do we have any uh, other news? Uh, it's been an eventful week for us, uh, which is kind of why we we were coming in late, a little late, a little late. But cast. what are you gonna do? Um, no, let's get into it because I think if I if I plow hard and long, we can get <laughs> us to the nine hundred mark and hell beyond. yeah, let's do it. Nine hundred pages. All right. Well, we're in the Gately zone, and he's just described uh, two guys in his uh, robbery crew. Oh yes, or his, yes, yes. not his robbery crew. His uh, just copping and using crew named yes. Fackelman and Kite. Yes. Uh, for Fackelman and Kite, the rap on Gately was that he was a great and for a narcotics addict, which places limits on rational trusting, stand-up guy and a ferociously good friend and crewmate, but they just didn't for their lives see why Gately chose to be a narcotics man, why these were his substances of his choice, because he was a great and cheerful stand-up jolly type guy off the nod, but when he was pebbled, uh, that's referring to one of the opiates he does is pebbles and bam bam, mm-hmm. when he was pebbled or narculated in any way, he'd become this totally taciturn, withdrawn, dead-like person, they always said, like a totally different Gately, sitting for hours real low in his canvas chair, practically lying in this chair whose canvas bulged and legs <laughs> bowed out, speaking barely at all, and then only the necessariest word or two, and then without ever seeming to open his mouth. He made whoever he got high with feel lonely. He got real, like, interior. Pamela Hoffman Jeep's term was other-directed, and it was worse when he shot anything up. You'd have to almost pry his chin off his chest. Kite used to say it was like Gately shot cement instead of narcotics. (laughs) Uh, McDade and Deal come in around 1100H from visiting Dooney Glynn. Simonize my baby. Simonize my baby, yes down somewheres in the gastroenterology department and try to give Gately's left-hand archaic old unhip high fives as a goof and say the bowel guys have got Glenn on a mega drip of a Levson, which takes us to EndNote 361. Um, very, um, oh man, this is so freaking annular that these EndNotes started with mostly drug names uh-huh. and they're ending with mostly drug names. That's crazy. Where is I? 361, a.k.a. sulfate, Schwartz Pharma, Creamers, Urban Inc., an antispasmodic for anything from colitis to irritable bowel syndrome. Back to the text. What bowel thing did Dooney Glenn have? Diverticulitis. Diverticulitis, thank you. Uh, A Levson codeine diverticulitis compound. And the Dune seemed to have undergone a kind of spiritual experience (laughs) vis-a-vis this compound and was giving them a bubbliant high fives and saying the bowel MDs were saying there was a chance the condition might be inoperable and chronic and that DG would have to be on the compound for life with a rubber bulb for (laughs) self-administration. And the formerly fetal Dune was sitting up in a lotus position and seemed to be a very ha- happy camper indeed 
Gately makes pathetic sounds around his oral tube as McDade and Deal start to interrupt each other, apologizing for how it's looking like they might not be able to stand up and legally depose for Gately like they'd be ready to in a fucking heartbeat if it wasn't <laughs> for various legal issues that they're still under the clouds of that uh, clouds of that their PD and PO respectively say that walking voluntarily into Norfolk District Court in Enfield would be titty mount. To, like, judicio-penal suicide, they're told. (laughs) Deal looks at McDade and then says there's also disparaging news about the 44 item that by everybody's reconstruction of events, it's more than likely Lenz might have promoted the item up off the lawn when he uh, legged it off the EMPHH complex just ahead of the finest. Because it's fucking vanished and nobody'd have rat-holed it and not given it up knowing what's at stake for the good old G-man in the deal. Gately makes a whole new kind of noise. <laughs> McDade says the more upbeat news is that Lenz has been possibly spotted, that Ken E. and Bert F. Smith had seen what looked like either R. Lenz or C. Romero after a wasting illness on their way back from wheeling Bert F.S. to a meeting in Kenmore Square. Mostly from the side of the back, they'd seen him wearing a back-split tux and sombrero with balls and apparently officially relapsed back out there, drunk as a maroon, so totally legless when they saw him he was doing a drunk's old hurricane walk, fighting his way from parking meter to parking meter and clinging to each parking meter. (laughs) Wade... <laughs> the backless tuxedo with the sombrero. With the sombrero that he, I think stole off a possibly like a Mexican restaurant like yeah. front. Oh man, Wade McDade here thinks to insert that the confirmed scuttlebutt is that EMPHH is getting ready to rent out Unit Three to a long-term mental health agency caring for people with incapacitating agoraphobia, and that everybody at the house is speculating on what a constantly crowded and cabin feverish place that's going to be. <laughs> what with the terribleness of the predicted winter coming up. Deal says his nasal sinus can always tell when it's going to snow, and his sinus is starting to predict at least flurries for maybe as early as tonight. They never think to tell Gately what day it is. That Gately can't communicate even this most basic of requests makes him want to scream. McDade and what's either an intimate aside or a knife twist at a staffer who's in no position to enforce anything confides that he and Emil Minty are arranging with Parias Carbo, who works for an Ennett House alum at, an, at Albright Printing down near the Jackson Mann School, for engraved formal-looking invitations for the agoric-phobic folks in unit number three to all just come on out and over to Ennett House for a crowded, noisy outdoor welcome-to-the-EMPHH neighborhood bash. And now Gately knows for sure it was McDade and Minty that put the help wanted sign up under the window of the lady in unit four that shouts for help. The general level of tension in the room increases. (laughs) Gavin Deal clears his throat and says, everybody says to say Gately's like wicked miss at back at the house. And everybody said to say sup and that they hope the G-man's up and back kicking residential ass very soon. And McDade produces an unsigned get well card from his pocket and puts it carefully through the railings bars where it lies next to Gately's arm and begins to open up from being folded and shoved in a pocket. It's clear the thing was shoplifted. It's It's probably the the pathetic unsigned folded hot card, but Gately suddenly... 
<laughs> stricken by the heat of the waves of self-pity and resentment he feels about not only the card, but about the prospect of these booger-chewing clowns not standing up to eyewitness for his say offendendo after he just tried to do his, uh, his sober job on one of their behalf and is now lying here in a level of increasing dextral discomfort these limp punks couldn't imagine if they tried, getting ready to have to say no to grinning Pakistanis about his disease's drug of choice with an invasive tube down his mouth and no notebook after he asked for one and needing to shit and to know the day and no big black nurse in view and unable to move, it suddenly seems awful starry-eyed to be willing to look on the course of events as evidence of the protection and care of a higher power. It's a bit hard to see why a, quote, loving God would have him go through the sausage grinder of getting straight just to lie here in total discomfort and have to say no to medically advised substances and get ready to go to jail just because Pat M. doesn't have the brass to make these selfish bottom-feeding dipshits stand up and do the right thing for once. <laughs> the resentment and fear make cords stand out on Gately's purple neck and he looks ferocious but not at all jolly because what if God is really the cruel and vengeful figurant Boston AA swears up and down he isn't and he gets you straight just so you can feel all the more keenly every bevel and edge of the special punishments he's got lined up for you because why the fuck say no to a whole rubber bulb full of Demerol's somnolent hum if those are the, quote, rewards of sobriety and rapidly active work in AA? The resentment, fear, and self-pity are almost narcotizing, way beyond anything he'd felt when hapless Canadians punched or shot him. This was a total, uh, sudden, total, bitter, impotent Job-type rage that always sends any sober addict falling back and up inside himself like vapor up a chimney. Deal and McDade were backing away from him. As well, they fucking might. Gately's big head felt hot and cold, and his pulse line on the overhead monitor started to look like the Rockies. The residents between Gately and the door, wide-eyed, now suddenly parted to let someone pass. At first, all Gately could see between them was this kidney-shaped plastic bedpan and a cylindrical syringe-snouted ketchup bottle as Pottleish thing with fleet down the side in cheery green. It took these this equipment a second to signify. Then he saw the nurse that came forward bearing the stuff, and his raging heart fell out of him with a thud. Deal and McDade made hearty farewell noises and melted out the door with the vague alacrity of seasoned drug addicts. <laughs> the nurse was no slot-mouthed penguin or booming mammy. This <laughs> good lord. This nurse looked like something out of a racy nursewear catalog like somebody that had to detour blocks out of her way to avoid construction sites at lunchtime. Gately's projected image of his and this gorgeous nurse's union unfolded and became instantly grotesque, him prone and ass up on the porch swing, she white-haired and angelic and burying something away in a kidney-shaped pan to the towering pile behind the retirement cottage. <laughs> Everything angry in him evaporated as he got ready to just fucking die of mortification. The nurse stood there and twirled the bedpan on one finger and flexed the long fleet cylinder a couple times and made an arc of clear fluid come out the tip and hang in the window light like a gunslinger twirling his six-shooter around to casually show off, smiling in a way that simply snapped Gately's spine. He began to mentally recite the serenity prayer. <laughs> when he moved, he could smell his own sour smell, 
not to mention the time and pain involved in rolling onto his left side and exposing his ass and pulling his knees to his chest with one arm. Hug those knees like they were your sweetie is what we say, she said, putting a terribly soft, cool hand on Gately's ass without jostling the catheter or IVs or the thick taped tube that went down his mouth to God knows where. And that just ends with a colon. Oh, it ends with a fucking colon. Oh, my God. God damn it. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Man. <laughs> this is not, not, not cool, man. All right. <laughs> let's go back to see how. Oh, uh, that's. Pun, punctuation. What, what, what a funny punctuation. Good Lord. Uh, uh, all I've right. always wondered what the how you that, poop at a hospital. Yeah, how the poop very carefully. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't seem. I I would not like to do it. I would not. I would not like to do it. Yes. My si- Hopefully, I can say this without exposing. One of my sisters once for money did. You know, we lived in Burlington, and uh, the college UVM has a med school, and they mm-hmm. do like testing and um, trials. And there was some kind of like internal medicine trial that she did where you did have to kind of basically like poop in a Tupperware and bring it in. Oh, God. Yeah. But you get paid like $3,000 for it. Oh, that's worth it. Oh, yeah. It's you, you're, you're, you're down to, down to clown for that much money. I, I would say that maybe 300 would be the, the lowest that I would like truck my poop around campus. Five, 500. Uh, also, one of these tennis guys, this guy, mm-hmm. either Medvedev or Kyrgios. I think that's Kyrgios. He has a, a calf tattoo that says in uh, in like stately Ro- Roman font, give a man a mask and he becomes his true self. Who is that? I don't know, but it seems vaguely, uh, vaguely infinite, infinite Nietzsche. Cast. Maybe we can check after. Yes. Do you want to check? Uh, I, I, can, I can check now. But. Kyrgios uh, calf tat. Yeah. I thought you were going to say it says te- tennis. <laughs> That'd be very funny. Yeah. All right. I wonder let's go if back. you played basketball and got like a basketball tattooed on your back. Uh, <laughs> basketball. All right. Let's go back to Hal. Okay. I was going to go back up to see about Stice's defenestration to check on Mario and change my socks and examine my expression in the mirror for unintentional hilarity to listen to Oren's phone messages and then the protracted death aria from Tosca once or twice. There is no music for free-floating misery like Tosca. I was moving down the damp hall when it hit. I don't know where it came from. It was some variant of the telescopically self-conscious panic that can be so devastating during a match. I'd never felt quite this way off-court before. It wasn't wholly unpleasant. Unexplained panic sharpens the senses, almost past enduring. Lyle had taught us this. You perceive things very intensely. Lyle's counsel had been to turn the perception and intention on the fear itself, but he'd shown us how to do this only on court in play. Everything came at too many frames per second. Everything had too many aspects, but it wasn't disorienting. The intensity wasn't unmanageable. It was just intense and vivid. It wasn't like being high, but it was still very lucid. The world seemed suddenly almost edible, there for the ingesting. The thin skin of light over the baseboards is varnish. The cream of the ceiling's acoustic tile. The deerskin brown longitudinal grain in the rooms' doors' darker wood. The dull brass gleam of the knobs. It was without the abstract cognitive quality of Bob or Star. 
the turn signal red of the stairwell's lit exit sign, Sleepy T.P. Peterson came out of the bathroom in a dazzling plaid robe, his face and feet salmon-colored from the shower's heat, and vanished across the hall into his room without seeing me wobbling, leaning against the cool mint of the hallway. But the panic was there, too. Endocrinal. In, endocrinal? Endo, uh, yeah, endocrinal? You, that's fine. I understand what you're saying, system. so the pronunciation is fine. Thank you. Paralyzing, and with an overcognitive, bad trip-like element that I didn't recognize from the very visceral on-court attacks of fear. Something like a shadow flanked the vividness and lucidity of the world. The concentration of attention did something to it. What didn't seem fresh and unfamiliar seemed suddenly old as stone. It all happened in the space of a few seconds. The familiarity of academy routine took on a crushing cumulative aspect. The total number of times I'd schlepped up the rough cement steps of the stairwell, seen my faint red reflection in the paint of the fire door, walked the 56 steps down the hall to our room, opened the door, and eased it gently back flush in the jam to keep from waking Mario. I re-experienced the years' total number of steps, movements, the breaths and pulses involved. Then the number of times I would have to repeat the same processes day after day in all kinds of light until I graduated and moved away and then began the same exhausting process of exit and return in some dormitory at some tennis power university somewhere. Maybe the worst part of the cognitions involved involved the incredible volume of food I was going to have to consume over the rest of my life. <laughs> meal after meal, plus snacks. That is true. Think about it all at once. Oh my God. Day after day after day, experiencing uh, this food in toto. Just the thought of the meat alone. One megagram? Two megagrams? I experienced vividly the image of a broad, cool, well-lit room piled floor to ceiling with nothing but the lightly breaded chicken fillets I was going to consume over the next 60 years. The number of fowl vivisected for a lifetime's meat. The amount of hydrochloric acid and bilirubin and glucose and glycogen and glauconol produced and absorbed and produced in my body. And another dimmer room filled with a rising mass of the excrement I'd produce, the room's double-locked steel door gradually bowing outward with the mounting pressure. I had to put my hand out against the wall and stand there hunched until the worst of it passed. I watched the floor dry, its dull shine brightened behind me in the snow light from the east window. The wall's baby blue was complexly filigreed with bumps and clots of paint. An um, unmopped glob of Kenkel's spit sat by the corner of VR5's door's jam, quivering slightly as the door rattled in its frame. There were scuffles and thumps from upstairs. It was still snowing like hell. I lay on my back on the carpet of viewing room five, still on the second floor, fighting the sense that I'd either never been here before or had spent lifetimes just here. The entire room was paneled in a cool yellow shimmering material called Kevlon, the, the viewer took up half the south wall and was dead and gray-green. The carpet's green was close to this color, too. The instructional and motivational cartridges were in a large glass bookcase whose central shelves were long and whose top and bottom, shelvings, uh, bottom shelving tapered down to almost nothing. Ovoid would convey the case's shape. I had the NASA glass with my toothbrush in it balanced on my chest. It rose whenever I inhaled. I'd had the NASA glass since I was a little boy, and its decal of white-helmeted figures waving authoritatively through the windows of a prototype shuttle was faded and incomplete. After a time, sleepy T.P. Peterson put his wet-combed head in the door and said Lamont Chu wanted to know whether what was happening outside qualified as a blizzard. 
It took over a minute of my not saying anything for him to go away. (laughs) The ceiling panels were grotesquely detailed. They seemed to come after you like some invasive ETA patron backing you up against the wall at a party. The the ceiling's kind of breathing for more than one guy. The ankle throbbed dully in the snowstorm's low pressure. I relaxed my throat and simply let the excess saliva run post-nasally back and down. The mom's mother had been ethnic Quebecois, her father Anglo-Canadian. The term used in the Yale Journal of Alcohol Studies for this man was binge drinker. All my grandparents were deceased. Himself's middle name had been Oren, his father's own father's name. Uh, The VR's entertainment cartridges were arrayed on wall-length shelves of translucent polyethylene. Their individual cases were all either clear plastic or glossy black plastic. My full name is Harold James in Condensa, and I am 183.6 centimeters tall in stocking feet. Himself designed the Academy's indirect lighting, which is ingenious and close to full spectrum. VR5 contained a large couch, four reclining chairs, a mid-size recumbency, six green corduroy spectation pillows stacked in a corner, three end tables, and a coffee table of mylar with inlaid coasters. Sounds great. Yeah. Take me there. The overhead lighting in every ETA room came from a small carbon graphite spotlight directed upward at a complexly alloyed reflecting plate above it. No rheostat was required. A small joystick controlled the brightness by altering the little spot's angle of incidence to the plate. Himself's films were arranged on the third shelf of the entertainment case. The mom's full name is Avril Mondragon, probably Mondragon, Avril Mondragon Tavis Incondenza, EDD, PhD. She is 197 centimeters tall in flats and still came up to only himself's ear when he straightened and stood erect. For almost a month in the weight room, Lyle had been saying that even the most advanced level of vipassana or insight meditation consisted in sitting in fully awakened contemplation of one's own death. I had held big buddy sessions in VR5 throughout the month of September. The moms had grown up without a middle name. The etymology of the term blizzard is essentially unknown. The full-spectrum lighting system had been a labor of love from himself to the moms, who'd agreed to leave Brandeis and head up the academy's academics and had an ethnic Canadian's horror of fluorescent light. (laughs) But by the time the system had been installed and debugged, the gestalt of the moms' lumophobia had extended to all overhead lighting, and she never used her office's spot and plate system. Petropolis Khan put his large, shaggy head in and asked what was all this brouhaha upstairs, the thumps and cryings out. He asked whether I was going to breakfast. The scuttlebutt on breakfast was sausage analog and OJ with palpable pulp, he said. (laughs) I closed my eyes and recalled that I'd known Petropolis Khan for three years and three months. Khan went away. I I could feel his head's withdrawal from the doorway, a very slight suction in the room's air. I needed to fart, but had not yet so far, or, but had not so far farted. The atomic weight of carbon is 12.01 and change. A small and carefully monitored game of eschaton slated for the mid-AM with, according to rumor, Pemulus himself as game master, was certain to be snowed out. It had begun to occur to me, uh, driving back from Natick on Tuesday, that if it came down to a choice between continuing to play competitive tennis and continuing to be able to get high, it would be a nearly impossible choice to make. The distant way in which this fact appalled me itself appalled me. The founder of the Sub-14's Tunnel Club had been Heath Pearson as a very little boy. 
The rumor that Pemulus himself would don the beanie for the next eschaton came from Kent Blot. Pemulus had been avoiding me ever since I returned from Natick on Tuesday, as if he sensed something. The woman behind the register at the Shell station last night had recoiled as I approached to present my card before pumping, as if she too had seen something in my expression I hadn't known was there. The North American Collegiate Dictionary claimed that any very heavy snowstorm with high winds qualified as a blizzard. Himself, for two years before his death, had had this delusion of silence when I spoke. I believed I was speaking, and he believed I was not speaking. Mm -hmm. Mario averred that himself had never accused him of not speaking. I tried to recall whether I had ever brought the subject up with the moms. The moms was at pains to be completely approachable on all subjects except himself and what had been going on between her and himself as himself withdrew more and more. She never forbade questions about it. She just got so pained and blurry-faced that you felt cruel asking her anything. I considered whether Pemulus's cessation of the math tutorials was perhaps an oblique affirmation, a kind of you are ready. Pemulus often communicated in a kind of esoteric code. It was true that I had kept mostly to myself in the room since Tuesday. The condensed OED, in a rare bit of florid imprecision, defined blizzard as a furious blast of frost wind and blinding snow in which man and beast frequently perish. <laughs> Claiming the word was either a neo uh, ne neologism... Uh, neologism? Neolog neologism? Neologism? Or a corruption of the French blessé, uh, which I believe means to hurt, uh, coined in uh, English by a reporter for Iowa's Northern Vindicator in BS 1864. <laughs> Oren alleged in YTMP that when he took the mom's car in the morning, he sometimes observed the smeared prints of nude human feet on the inside of the windshield. <laughs> VR5's heating duct's grill gave off a sterile hiss. All up and down the hall were sounds of the academy coming to life, making competitive ablutions, venting anxiety and complaints at the possible blizzard outside, wanting to play. There was heavy foot traffic in the third floor hall above me. Orn was going through a period where he was attracted only to young mothers of small children. A hunched way, she hunches, you hunch. John Wayne had had a violent allergic reaction to a, a decongestant and had commandeered the WETA microphone and publicly embarrassed himself on Trolch's Tuesday broadcast, apparently, and had been taken to St. Elizabeth's overnight for observation, but had recovered quickly enough to come home and then finish ahead even of Stice in Wednesday's conditioning run. I missed the entire thing and was filled in by Mario on my return from Natick, Wayne had apparently said unkind things about various ETA staff and administration, none of which anything uh, anyone who knew Wayne and all he stood for had taken seriously. Relief that he was okay had dominated everyone's accounts of the whole incident. The moms herself had apparently stayed by Wayne's side late into the night at mm -hmm. St. E's, which Boo Boo felt was esteemable and just like the moms. Um, what do you think? Maybe two more pages? Yeah, sure. Simply imagining the total number of times my chest will rise and fall and rise. If you want prescriptive specificity, you go to a hard ass. Sidney and Schneeven's Dictionary of Environmental Sciences <laughs> require 12 centimeters an hour of continuous snowfall, minimum winds of 60 kilometers per hour, and visibility of less than 500 meters. And only if these conditions obtained for more than three hours was it a blizzard. <laughs> less than three hours was C4 squall. The dedication and sustained energy that go into true perspicacity and expertise were exhausting even to think about. Boy, I agree with that. <laughs> 
once you start thinking about systems and the people who study them and tell you about them, it stresses me out. Yes, absolutely. God. Like there's just meteorologists. Their only job is the weather. And sometimes people don't believe them. Yes. And sometimes they, they get it wrong and it's their entire job. Yeah. It now lately sometimes seemed like a kind of black miracle to me that people could actually care deeply about a subject or pursuit and could go on caring this way for years on end, could dedicate their entire lives to it. It seemed admirable and at the same time pathetic. We are all dying to give our lives away to something, maybe. God or Satan, politics or grammar, topology or phylately. The object seemed, incident in seemed incidental to this will to give oneself away, utterly to games or needles, to some other person. Something pathetic about it. A flight from in the form of a plunging into. Flight from it, exactly what? These rooms blandly filled with excrement and meat? To what purpose? This was why they started us here so young, to give ourselves away before the age when the questions why and to what grow real beaks and claws. It was kind in a way. Modern German is better equipped for combining gerundives and prepositions than is its mongrel cousin. The original sense of addiction involved being bound over, dedicated, either legally or spiritually, to devote one's life, plunge in. I had researched this. Stice had asked whether I believed in ghosts. It's always seemed a little preposterous that Hamlet, for all his paralyzing Here doubt about everything, never once doubts the reality of the ghosts. Ghost, sorry. Never questions whether his own madness might not be, in fact, unfeigned. Stice had promised something boggling to look at. That is, whether Hamlet might be only feigning, feigning. I kept thinking of the film and cartridge studies professor's final soliloquy in himself's unfinished, good-looking men in small, clever rooms that utilize every centimeter of available space with mind-boggling efficiency. The sour parody of academia that the moms had taken as an odd personal slap. I kept thinking I should really go up and check on the darkness. There seemed to be so many implications even to thinking about sitting up and standing and exiting VR5 and taking a certain variable according to stride length number of steps to the stairwell door, on and on, that just the thought of getting up made me glad I was lying on the floor. <laughs> I was on the floor. I felt the Nile green carpet with the back of each hand. I was completely horizontal. I was comfortable lying perfectly still and staring at the ceiling. I was enjoying being one horizontal object in a room filled with horizontality. <laughs> Charles Tavis is probably not related to the moms by actual blood. Her extremely tall French-Canadian mother died when the moms was eight. Her father left their potato farm on business a few months later and was gone for several weeks. He did this sort of thing with some frequency, a binge drinker. Eventually, there would be a telephone call from some distant province or U.S. state, and one of the hired men would go off to bail him out. <laughs> From this disappearance, though, he returned with a new bride the moms had known nothing about, an American widow named Elizabeth Tavis, who, in the stilted Vermont wedding photo, seems almost certainly to have been a dwarf. The huge square head, the relative length of the trunk compared to the legs, the sunken nasal bridge and protruding eyes, the stunted faux-camelic arms around Squire Mondragon's right thigh, oh, one khaki-colored cheek pressed affectionately against his belt buckle. C.T. was the infant son she'd brought to the new union. His father, a ne'er-do-well, killed in a freak accident playing competitive darts in a Brattleboro tavern just as they were trying to adjust the obstetric stirrups for the achondroplastic Mrs. Tavis's labor and delivery. I'll have to check back on achondroplastic. Her smile in the wedding photo is homodontic. Mm, you know who else is homodontic? Who? Mario. Oh, okay. 
Uh, it's like dolphin teeth. Okay, yes. <laughs> According to Orin, though, CT and the moms claim Mrs. T was not a true homodont, the way, for instance, Mario is a true homodont. Every single one of Mario's teeth is a second bicuspid. So it was all rather up in the air. The account of the disappearance, darts, accident, and dental incongruity comes from Orin, who claims to have decocted it all out of an extended, one-sided conversation he had with a distraught CT in the waiting room of Brigham and Women's OBGYN while the moms was prematurely delivering Mario. Orin had been seven years old. Himself had been uh, uh, in the delivery room where apparently Mario's birth was quite a touch-and-go thing. The fact that Oren was our one and only source for data shrouded the whole thing in further ambiguity as far as I was concerned. Pinpoint accuracy had never been Oren's forte. The wedding photo was available for inspection, of course, and confirmed Mrs. Tavis as huge-headed and wildly short. Neither Mario nor I had ever approached the moms on the issue, possibly out of fear of reopening psychic wounds from a childhood that had always sounded unhappy. All I knew for sure was that I had never approached her about it. For their part, the moms in CT have never represented themselves as anything other than unrelated but extremely close. I think I have like two paragraphs yeah, left and we can going. finish yeah, yeah. this section. The attack of panic and prophylactic focus's last spasm now suddenly almost overwhelmed me with the intense horizontality that was all around me in the viewing room. <laughs> the ceiling, floor, carpet, tabletops, the chairs and seats, and the shelves at their backs as tops, and much more the shimmering horizontal lines in the Kevlon wall fabric, the very long top of the viewer, the top and bottom borders of the door, the spectation pillows, the viewer's bottom, the squat black cartridge drives top and bottom, and the little push-down controls that protruded like stunted tongues, the seemingly endless horizontality of the couches and chairs and recumbency seats, the wall of shelves' every line, the varied horizontal shelving of the ovoid case, two of every cartridge case's four sides, on and on. I lay in my tight little sarcophagus of space. The horizontality piled up all around me. I was meat in the room's sandwich. I felt awakened to a basic dimension I'd neglected during years of upright movement, of standing and running and stopping and jumping, of walking endlessly upright from one side of the court to the other. I had understood myself for years as basically vertical, an odd forked staff of stuff and blood. I felt denser now. I felt more solidly composed now that I was horizontal. I was impossible to knock down. Huh. Oh boy! Yes. Page nine hundred two. We did it. Last, wow, we made it. Last uh, hundred. Last uh, set like of hundred pages. Eighty-five pages mm-hmm. or something like that. Hell yeah! Lots of lots of stuff to discuss, honestly. But what's standing out to you? Uh, Hal's having some kind of panic attack, presumably. Also, sounds to me kind of like a psychedelic come up. Oh yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> uh, oh, isn't he being sober right now? It, it, yes, he is. Um, so you have to think about maybe why he would be feeling this way in the absence of weed. Uh, we don't have to get to it yet. Okay, great. Well, I'm you will. I'm sure information will be re- revealed as the book progresses. I promise it both will and won't. Okay, it will great. be discussable, though, of course. Okay, wonderful. Well, I, I will continue to, to spe- speculate. Did you ever get a beat on um, what, the ma- what the mask quote is from? Oh, it is. It's from Oscar Wilde, actually. Oh, is it from, you know, that thing with the portrait and stuff? Dorian? 
yes. From the Portrait of Dorian Gray. Have you ever read Portrait of Dorian Gray? Twice. I read it recently. Is it good? Oh, fucking heater. Should I read that next? Maybe. Sound off in the comments. That's a fun one. Uh, when I buy my Sexy, mansion. lurid, uh, witty, gross. Uh, I can't see what the... It might just be one of his quips. He, do, he does be quipping. Yes. That's like his main thing. Yes. Uh, oh my God, there's so many terrible memes bonds, with this. Bonds Mots. That there would surprise you to see that there are like lots and lots of photo of photos of that quote overlaid over like the uh, anonymous V for Vendetta mask and like pictures of the Joker. Uh, that does not surprise me. I thought it was also going to be some anti-masking propaganda, like anti-COVID. Well, masks. that's well, that's what I first saw when I looked at the, this tennis guy's leg, and I, I just clocked the word mask. I was like, oh boy, what's this going to be? <laughs> Uh, but then it's it's that, and I think it's he's, he means it to be more of like a, a philosophical thing. Yeah, I guess. But it does seem like a, a vaguely like infinite jesty. It is thing. totally. Yeah. Listen, we're all wearing masks. It's called the skin on our faces. Yes. Until we get them stuck to a cold window. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. And Don is being. It seems like he's being tempted by pity. Yeah, he's falling into uh, trap of patterns, which, you know, who wouldn't? Yeah. Um, it's especially... He's, he's, he's getting into, well, maybe I'll just kill myself. Yeah, basically. And why, sh- why shouldn't I have a, yeah. uh, a, a bit if of God spot hates of- me so much, maybe <laughs> I will just have a spot of, of opiate. Yeah, just a touch. Just a tad of opiate, just a taste. Just a smidge. Well, Dooney Glenn appears to, I don't know if that was an opiate that he got for his diverticulitis, but he seems, he seems in great spirits. Yes. He was He was real, last time we saw him, he was quite suffering. This could This could be done. Yes. Um, God, the the image of the the room slowly filling with both the meat and shit that you will eat in life. Uh, it sounds like a, a saw trap. It does. Yeah, just the um. Once you really see Hal's like st- thoughts start to like veer, yeah, all over the place, it mi- it mimics what has happened to me when I have uh had a psychedelic experience where you do feel like you you can think ten. I'm not sure if this is universal, but thinking like ten different thoughts at the same uh-huh. time. Yes, if you're not properly like soothed or distracted by like visual stuff, oh boy. For example, maybe you've gone to like a porter potty at a music festival, <laughs> and that's when really things start to really kick in. You do start to notice things like geom- the geometry of the world, yes. the textures of it, and then also start to think, you know, memories that you've unearthed or, you know, weird etymological tricks. Damn, anyway, I relate to how as a hype, I would say a hyperverbal person. Uh, there really do be so many flat surfaces. Yeah, when you, you know, it's it's amazing, you know. When I, can I may I share a story from my childhood? Yes. Uh, one thing that my late grandmother liked to t- say, um, you know, to share as an anecdote from when I was a baby to prove that I was smart was that um, we it, I was dri- she was driving me and I was in the back seat, young enough to be you know not really mobile on my own, and I guess we hit a stop sign, not hit a stop sign came up to a stop sign and i said look grandma it's a hexagon yes you when you're a kid i feel like it mimics the psychedelic thing where life life is like just a shape that you just learned about <laughs> yes, i know it's a shape that, that you just learned about. aren't, aren't stocks stop signs octagons i don't fucking know man uh <laughs> yes close enough um 
Octagons or hexagons. Now I can't remember. That's one of those things where, like, if you put a gun to my head right now, I feel like it's I would the bear. It it's the Berenstain effect. Yes. Yeah. So, I, was, I was about to say sound off in the comments. Don't don't sound out of the comments. Don't sound out of the comments. Sound off in the comments if, no. if stop signs or hexagons. No, or I don't want to know. The next time I see one, I'll try to notice. Um, I mentioned saw traps. And I can't remember if I told this story uh, on it, but I feel like it's it is uh, this story is uh relevant to the nature of this podcast but did i talk about the kid i met over uh um christmas and you, his knowledge of the you, saw movies you told me but you didn't tell the podcast tell them um i so i was at a fa family um i was at a family sorry molly is, is <laughs> having issues <laughs> i was at a, a family white elephant thing White elephant party. Uh, and while I was there, uh, I was tasked with entertaining uh, probably like a, a seven-year-old kid, eight-year-old kid. And we were walking around, you know, walking around the backyard, looking at all the stuff, and he was chatting away at various things that uh, he liked, which included uh, various YouTubers like Mr. Beast and mm -hmm. things like that. And then he asked me what my favorite horror movie was. He's like yeah. seven or eight or something. And I was like, oh boy. Um, like i don't know i guess evil dead 2 if that counts counts as one that's a lot of fun and, he, and he's like uh he, he somehow got on and he was like i'm a big fan of saw and i'm like that's pretty intense dude mm -hmm. and he's like yeah i just like all the traps i i and then he, we start talking and he starts asking me what specifically about traps what are your favorite traps what are your favorite horror movie with traps uh, what's your favorite saw franchise trap? And I'm like, I don't really remember any of them. And he's like, I could solve all the traps. I figured out, I could figure out how. So I keep on talking to him and trying to get to the bottom of where this knowledge of saw comes from. Yeah. And it, I figure out that from context clues is that he has not actually seen the saw movies, but he has watched some kind of YouTube co content mm -hmm. that's basically like how to beat the traps in saw movies they've solved solved saw. the traps yeah and this is where he has learned about this movie and it, it was just a very weird experience because i was like trying to i was like okay so we've got a budding sneezed yes. on our hands so i was like trying to you know talk about oh you know what a real you know like ta talking about like oh if you're into horror movies have you seen halloween yet i mean that's a very classic straightforward movie mm-hmm that doesn't have a ton of gore, but goddamn is it like I didn't say goddamn to this kid, but I was like, oh my god, if you want to get like really scared by like a classically good horror movie, mm -hmm. uh, try Halloween. But he's not; he's just into he's just on YouTube solving traps that from movies that he's never seen from some like soy faced YouTuber. And I had to like stage. I was I was trying to like subtly stage an intervention and be like, I'm gonna tell you right here, dude. Those, these movies are going to be much better for you to watch the first time if you don't watch the YouTube content first. Yes. It's not like I, the then YouTube you're content just, is bad. Yeah. It's just that you should you should wait till you see these movies to seek it out. Yes. But it did just like, it was one of those things where I'm like, oh God, this is so postmodern. That's very postmodern. Yeah. D David Foster Wallace would be um, would be all about that. Yes. Uh, spe speaking of postmodern viewing experience, I, I tweeted this, but... Um, you know, th there's a new kind of flavor of uh, TikTok called Core Core. I have seen the Core Core. That's just kind of like comp compilations. It's, you know, sort of, po uh, I guess, um, metatextual, postmodern, like, recuttings of uh, TikToks into their own kind of m mood pieces. Yeah, decontextualized mood pieces decontextualized, of TikTok. Decontextualized, recontextualized. They are 
funny, but they also kind of remind me of the American Beauty pointing the camcorder at the plastic bag and going, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I mean, listen, a little melancholy music and some some um, emotions yeah. carefully titrated, like, why not? But I was I said R.I.P. J.O.Y. You would have loved Core Core. Yes. Is that, you know, again, just like these these smaller screen than he even could have imagined yes. like, viewing experiences. And you've got Hal lying horizontally on the floor of the viewing room. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 just funny. I feel like the one thing that, that even the most prescient like pre social media futurisms could not predict is the democratization of creation yeah you know? yes of course like the idea of jo and condenza that he, he is portrayed as like a savant of creation because he like in the last four or five years of his life he like worked like started swerved so hard into this massive frenzied output of things and that's like that's just a guy who decides to become a YouTuber. I was you going to say, well, counterpoint, you have, or maybe not even counterpoint, you've got Mario with a head-mounted Bolex camera. Yeah, he's he's vlogging. He is vlogging. Uh, he's he's doing, a, you know, the walking tour of uh, Boston, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he kind of... Oh, he, Mario would love those videos. Yeah, he would make those videos. We were, I bet we've been watching... No, Mar- R.I.P. Mario, you would love, uh, you'd love GoPros. Yes. Yes, he he's, would love GoPro. He's not dead. Uh, um, we we've been watching, just having on in the background, a lot of videos that are just like 4K walking tour of X City. That's just like somebody walking through, I don't know, Stockholm during a snowstorm or Boston during a light rain. It's it's nice. It's, ni- it's a nice background visual yeah. that you don't have to totally pay attention to. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. This the Hal's lying on the ground in the viewing room. He's he's freaking out, man. He's freaking out, man. What's going to happen? We kind of already know. Kind of don't. Has Pemulus has been formally suspended yet? I think he has been suspended and I don't think he's told anyone about it. Oh, okay. I think it, it if I can interpret that it kind of like hits him at a level of like ego that he might not have even been prepared for because he thought he was going to be able to talk his way out of anything. Yes. Um, but yeah, Pemulus has been avoiding Hal. Hal's been maybe avoiding Pemulus. I don't know. Hal's started talking from the first person. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he's also, yeah, he feels, you know, different about, you know, and once he went to that meeting uh, in Natick, uh, the, I think that's what he's referring to, the sad men who need to heal their inner child. Yes. Um, the, uh, the last thing is the mention of seeing Randy Lenz quote fully back on the bender. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that he is not fully back on a bender, but just had his brain scrambled by being forced to watch the entertainment? That is an interesting concept. I had that thought too, is that could he have possibly escaped or, um, been let, let go by Marath or some, some other unpredictable thing. Cause he's, he obviously, listen, he figured out how to weasel his way out of cutting off his own fingers in order to keep watching the entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, that, I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause I was thinking that, that too. So, something similar. Yeah. Or he, uh, but he, I mean, also I, it would not be surprising. He was already fully back on a bender. Yeah. Previously. Well, the wa- yeah, the wobbling between parking meters is different than his usual behavior, which is like getting so coked out that he's sneaking around like yes. a cartoon character. Yes, exactly. So it's it implies that something has happened to him. We don't yes. know what. 
Maybe it's just that alcohol is easier to get than cocaine. Perhaps. <laughs> or he's had his brain fried. Or he's had his brain fried. His brain, yeah. Fucking Randy Lenz. Yes. Well, if I know anything from detective stories, it's very important to find the gun that did the thing. Yes. That That's all true. I know. I don't know more than that. But if there's no item, mm -hmm. then Don is unhappy, obviously. Yes. Yeah. He should, you know, talk about him like feeling self-pity. Who, we, who have wouldn't? Have he's super hurt and he's, he might dead. go to jail. I think it's not been confirmed, hurt, but I yes. think at least one Nux map was eliminated. So, yes. All right. I'm going to have to wrap it for tonight because I still have to finish a Chapo episode. Yes. Like podcast, podcast. 10 p.m. Podcast, podcast. Yeah. Uh, big, big shit is popping. Yes. <laughs> big, big shit happening. Big shit. Huge. 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 Beautiful um, face, huge. A beautiful face, huge. <laughs> All right. Uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>